Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Good morning, calm parents, and welcome back to another episode of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. And today I'm talking with Jason Reed, who is the founder of ChooseLife.org. Jason is a serial entrepreneur whose companies employ over 2,500 people nationwide. He is also a partner at CEO Coaching International, where he coaches 15 CEOs across the world. In March 2018, Jason's world changed forever when his youngest son, Ryan, took his own life. Jason is the founder of ChooseLife.org, an organization focused on ending teen suicide by helping parents own their children's mental health. Welcome, Jay. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Cam. I'm happy to be here today. So you have a very touching story that I think a lot of parents understand and fear. Um, Would you mind sharing a little bit about what happened in March of 2018? Sure. So let me start by just saying that this is something that we all hope never happens to us and we all think will never happen to us. And I was definitely one of those guys that thought that would never happen to me. But in March of 2018, the week of the night, uh, you know, the week of the 18th, 19th, whatever it was, we were hanging out with my son Ryan. I was talking to Ryan about how we were going to take our trip to Washington in the summertime, and he wanted to go to Dubai next summer. That's a father-son trip we were going to go do. He was bouncing off the walls watching March Madness with his mother, and. She literally said to him, hey, you have to always watch this with me. And he said, I'll always watch it with you. Fast forward a couple of days later, Kim and I go on vacation to Mexico to celebrate her birthday. And we get a text, individual text from Ryan saying goodbye. And that night he took his life. We raced back from Mexico. And he spent five days in the hospital and we finally took him off of life support. We did not see, and I did not recognize the signs that Ryan had changed. Ryan did his best to hide it from us, as he said in his letters, but that's not, well, as I look back, I I saw there were signs. I didn't realize there were signs. But I was definitely the guy who thought that would never happen to me, or my wife, or my kids. And Ryan had had just literally turned 14. So after this happened, I decided I had to do something to help parents understand what I went through so they don't have to go through it. Now, I'd like to shift the conversation, if I can, away from suicide, because even though it is one of the leading causes of death for our kids, it's not likely going to happen to you and your families. But there is something that is likely happening to you and your families and the reality is that 
somewhere, depending where you want to get your stats from, upwards of 30% of kids um, in the last 12 months have been experiencing some kind of major depression episode. And up to 40% of kids have high anxiety levels. And so that you're, so there's a three or four out of 10 chance that your child is struggling with their own mental health. Yeah. Not to the level Ryan did, but they're struggling. And some of those kids will go down the path and make bad mistakes, whether they want to or not. And by the way, when someone kills himself, it's not that they want to get away. from you or their lives they want the pain to end and some kids are in a lot of pain does that make sense yeah they don't know what else to do yeah and so if we if we bring it back around to kids that are depressed here's an interesting stat and by the way it's not just kids this could be your spouse this could be your friend there's a lot of people suffering out there right especially with COVID going through all of that Kids were not meant to be in their rooms by themselves. In fact, one of the major signs of a problem with your child is they spend too much time in their room by themselves. Mm-hmm. And we just put them all in their rooms by themselves for 18 months. Yeah. Right? So, as we bring this back around, um, I'm always asking, so let me back up. So I went on this journey to try and learn what happened to Ryan so I could help other parents. So I did um, a couple of TEDx talks, uh, one called The Hot Lava Talk I did um, last year, I think it was. And I did a movie called Tell My Story. I did a goal cast for, for dads and moms. Um, just trying to get the message out there. I spent a bunch of time talking to teens, talking to parents, talking to teens that attempted suicide, um, talking to parents who went through the, the whole thing to try and get where I'm at today. Now, I am not a doctor. You are a doctor. I am not a doctor. Um, I don't pretend to be a therapist. I am only here as a dad saying, here's what I've learned and here's what I wish I knew. Yeah. And one of the big questions people bring me is, okay, I recognize my kid is in their room a lot and they're not, and they're lashing out at me. And you probably get this a lot. Yes. And they say, well, I don't even know how to talk to my kids because I go in the room and I say, let's talk. And they yell at me and tell me to get me out of my room, out of the room. Like, what am I supposed to do? I tried. I'm sure you get that question all the time. Oh, every day. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you have a great answer for it. Um, I can give you mine. Please. What I've learned. Um, here's what you have to recognize. I get the fact that you own the house. I get the fact that you pay for everything. I get the fact that the only reason they have anything in their lives and a roof over their heads is because of you. Got it. Now, the only space they have, the only thing they have where they can feel safe and by themselves is that room. Mm-hmm. And when you barge into that sacred space and tell me you want to talk to them, they're not going to talk to you. They're going to tell you to get the out of the room which every one of us as a parent has had that happen. And we wonder why. We don't think they're grateful. And we blah, 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 blah. All these things come over our heads and our mouths. But for them, that's all they have is that one little space. 
So my first thought for you is let them have their space. And find a way to talk to your child that is not in that space. And when, where is that? Well, you know your kid better than I do. And here's what you do know. is that there are times when your kid wants to talk to you. And they just want to go on and on and on and on. And it's rare as teenagers. But we've all had the experience. It's usually not in the room. It might be in the car on the way to school. It might be in the car on the way back from school. It might be when you're cooking with them in the kitchen or taking them for a walk or after a baseball game or something. But there are times when they open up and you have to take advantage of that time. And you have to figure out when that time happens and when it reoccurs. And that's the time when you ask a lot of questions and figure out what's going through their heads. That is the time when they'll talk to you, they'll be open to you. And it's never at the time that works for you. Because being a parent is inconvenient. And I don't think I was great at it. Because I work a lot. I travel a lot. When I was home, I was home. I, was, I didn't go golfing with buddies or that kind of stuff. I have with my kids, my wife. Um, the time Ryan and I would talk together is we'd go down and watch a show at night. And then sometimes he talked to me. I've seen a lot. But I don't know what time he could have come up to my office and said, hey, Dad, can we talk? And I said, hey, I got to do this. I'll come grab you later. I don't know if I missed one of those times. Right? So it's inconvenient being a parent. The other thing we gotta, you have to understand is if, if, and I hope you don't mind me going, am I? No, please. This is, <laughs> this is why I want you here because you've experienced this and you've talked to so many people and this is the information that, that I want to hear. So please. So this is stuff that I didn't understand because I've never experienced depression. Have I had a sad day? Yeah. I've had a sad day. I've had an angry day? Yeah. I've had an angry day. But it's a day. It's like an hour. I get over it. People who are truly depressed and sad, it's like they're angry. It's for days and days and days, and they can't get out of it. And the one thing I realized is that, like, here I am in Southern California, and I'm looking outside my window. There's not a cloud in the sky. That's a blue sky. If I'm sitting here with someone who's depressed, truly depressed, they may see only clouds in that sky. Yeah. And I see a blue sky. And I'm looking at them going, what do you see? There's clouds. No matter what I say, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, I'm not going to get that person to understand there's no clouds in the sky. Right. You're not going to change their mind. They see clouds. The only thing you can do, which I didn't know, is get them to talk about their clouds. Tell me what your clouds look like. Where are they? How big are they? Why do you think they're there? Are they always there? What do they mean to you? Do they ever go away? That's all you can do is get them to talk about their troubles, their clouds. Yeah. And listen. And don't judge. Because you're not going to convince them you're wrong. And as you try, <laughs> which we all do as parents, especially guys like me, as you try to fix their problems, mm -hmm. the only thing you're going to do is get them to shut down. They're not going to talk to you. Yeah. 
They're just, they're not going to talk. You, the minute you go, hey, let me tell you why your life is so good, which I probably did to Ryan from time to time. I probably did all my kids. I have four kids. I'm looking around. They're telling me they're upset about something. I'm going, look around. Look where you live. Look how your life is. You want, let me tell you how it was like for me to grow up. Tell you how my dad was. They, all they do is shut down. What they want to hear is nothing. They want to know you're there to listen. The, the one thing I, I, I learned is that I learned a lot about therapists because I've never been to one. And my kids have never been to one. My wife never been to one. Yeah, we've all been to one. I went on call 24-7. <laughs> um, I learned that being a therapist isn't about telling someone how to do something. It's about asking questions and listening. Yeah. And we can all be a therapist. I mean, there, there is a shortage of good therapists in the country, but every one of us can be a therapist to our friends and a therapist to our, our kids if all we do is ask questions and listen. Anytime you go to a therapist, all you do is you start talking, they start listening to you, they ask a question, why do you feel that way? What does that mean to you? How long has it been that way? And you talk and you talk and you talk, and your hour runs up, and you go, oh, that was great, I feel wonderful. Right. <laughs> and they're like, great. They don't judge you. They don't tell you what to do. Maybe they give you a couple things to think about. Have you thought of it this way? But they do not tell you what to do. That is the mark of a really, I mean, I think it's a mark of a great therapist. What do you think, doctor? I agree completely. And the question is, why do we need to pay somebody to listen? Listening is not an easy thing to do, and people don't do it well, which is why we need to pay somebody. Which is why we need to pay somebody, right? Because <laughs> we don't listen very well, especially guys my age. Look, guys, I, for the fathers out there, yeah. man, I was that guy, right? Here I am. I have companies across the United States. I coach people around the world. I'm a black belt. I'm an Iron Man. I've written eight books. I've done all that stuff that none of it matters anymore. Right? Not a bit of it matters. But I showed up as that guy at the house. As a guy who did everything, got everything done, fixed everything. People call me all day. I fix problems. That's what I do. My kids never saw me cry. I have all these companies. I've been almost bankrupt three times. I failed at 13 other of the companies we all own, 13 of them we closed. Right? I've failed plenty of times in my life. My kids and my wife have never seen that side of me. Because as a dad and as a man, I thought that's how I was supposed to show up. Alright? Yep. I got it all I got it covered. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Right? So that's what Ryan saw. Right? He saw me showing up as a guy. Everything's always together. Everything always works. If it doesn't work, that fixes it. Boom. You are a protector. In your mind, you're a protector. Mm -hmm. But what did Ryan see? Yeah. When Ryan's life started going bad, he's like, it must be me. Yeah. Because my dad's life isn't that way. The vulnerability that I didn't show is what I should have shown. I should have shown Ryan that, you know what, life's not always great. 
Those are really bad, crappy days. And I have them too. Because that's what your kids want to see. That's what your wife wants to see. That's what your husband wants to see. They don't want to see this. Per they, that person who's got always perfect makes them feel imperfect. Yeah. And I'm still not great at it. I'm hardwired to do it the way I do it. Yeah, right? I mean, I think we all get hardwired to show that front. And social media makes it even easier for us to show this perfect front, right? And to radiate this perfect front. Oh, and that's another thing I learned. And Ryan wasn't on social media for the most part. He had a Facebook account only to see where I was and traveling to see what I was up to. Um, but he didn't really have social media. But when I'm talking to kids that have gone through this, wow. It's a different world. Like we grew up, I grew up, I'm older than you. I grew up with no social media and, and three channels on TV. Yeah. Right? There's nothing. The world they live in today is so much different than the world we lived in. Yeah. Right? I didn't worry about what was on TV. I didn't worry about the news. The news was something, it was on 6 o'clock at night. Your father probably watched it, maybe your mother watched it. If they read the paper, I didn't read the paper. I was playing. Mm -hmm. I was out having fun with my friends. I was worried about my friends. They, they, I, my life was so small. Their lives are so large. But the brain is the same brain I had. The ability to cope with things is the same thing I had, right? Yeah. I couldn't imagine being worried about global warming, COVID, whether China, Russia, Iran, terrorists, what, whether the building's going to collapse on me or not. I didn't have any of that going through my head. They all do. Yeah. And then they look at social media and they look at Instagram and all their friends' lives are so much better than theirs. Yeah. Right? If you go on my social media, if you go on my Facebook, yeah, it looks like my life's wonderful. And it's not. It's not terrible, but it's not the way it shows up on Facebook. Right. Right? Because we all take the perfect picture and we post the perfect picture. And to a child who is depressed, to a child who is anxious, to a parent who doesn't understand that it's all fake, that happens to be a, a staged moment in time, then they think that their lives suck and everybody else's lives are great. Adults do that too. A lot of adults do it. And we let ourselves think that our terrible lives are terrible because everybody else's life is great. Or look, my friends went out without me. And they didn't call. Well, that happens all the time. People just go out with each other. So helping your kids cope with their social media and understand social media is a really important thing. And I'm not sure that we need to give kids social media at 12 and 13 years of age. You recall, I did. I don't think I would again. Yeah. Um, I I'll tell you the one thing I wouldn't absolutely not do. Um, and it comes back to the phone. You know what I said? Like you, you, I know you paid for the, the room and the house and everything. It, here's where I changed my mind. <laughs> that phone is yours. Mm. They are mm. borrowing it. Mm -hmm. It's not their phone. They don't have a phone. They're borrowing your phone. Which means that anytime you want to go look at that phone, it's your phone to look at. 
They do not have a right, in my mind, to privacy as a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid on a phone. Because there's so much going on that they can't actually deal with in their mind, they can't cope with. If they're being bullied by somebody on Instagram, you need to see it better on Facebook or on all that kind of track. If you find them hiding apps on their phone, take it away from them. And I wish, if it, I had my way, there would not be a browser on any kid's home, any kid's phone under the age of 16. Mm. And I'll tell you why I feel this way. Is that when we gave, when we give a child a phone with a browser on it, we give them the ability to go anywhere in the world and look up anything they want. Yeah. Without us checking to see what they're doing. Yeah. And I did that with Ryan. I gave him a phone because he was a good kid, great grades, never had a problem. Said, yeah, here's a phone, whatever. And I gave him access to the internet. And people, there's, people think that porn is the worst thing on the internet. It's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's not the worst thing. Mm. You can find a lot of stuff that you do not want your child to see. Yeah. And under the covers at night, they can be finding, figuring that stuff out. And that's what Ryan did. Ryan used his phone to research how to kill himself. Wow. I know because he wrote about it. So I don't think a child needs access to a phone with a browser on. I'm not sure children under the age of, call it 15, need Instagram and Facebook. But that's your call. And if you're going to give it to them, teach them how to use it. Yeah. I think that's the really, really big piece of it, too, is that a lot of kids, if you don't give it to them, they find ways to get it. And they're, they're very clever and smarter than we are. And so what you just said about teaching them how to use it is so critical. Well, and, and here's the deal. How do they figure So I hear this from parents all the time. Well, they figure out a way to put an app on a phone that I don't know about. And all. You know how they figure it out? They go they on Google it. and they research it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can do the same thing. Yeah. You can go on, find, how do I hide an app? How do apps for yeah. kids who don't want their parents to figure out? I mean, all of it exists. Yeah. You just need to take some time to figure it out. Yeah. Right? And then you'll know what to look for. They are not mad scientists. They're kids. They're not smarter than you. They just like to act like they are. Right. They figure out how to research stuff that you've never bothered to try. Everything is out there for you to figure out. If you want to know what's going through their heads, you can figure it out. Yeah. It's very true. So what are some things that you want parents to know or that parents can do right now to really start connecting with their kids and, and protecting them, I guess, from these things that can really hurt them? Well, here's my message these days as it's evolved. If you want to, if we want to end teen suicide, or at least bring it back to the days when I grew up where it really wasn't an issue, it happened to some people, but very few, then as parents, we need to own our children's mental health. We need to own our kids' mental health the way we own our kids' physical health. Three to four out of 10, 30 to 40% of kids are experiencing depression or anxiety. That's like saying 30 to 40% of our kids have diabetes. Yeah. Right? If they had diabetes, what would you do about it? Right? Ryan had Crohn's disease. We were all over it. Mm. Right? right? We were all over it. Ryan also had mental health issues we missed. Yeah. 
I missed. But if we had dealt with Ryan's, if I had dealt with Ryan's mental health issues, the way we dealt with his Crohn's issues, he'd probably still be here. Mm. We didn't know. Yeah. So own your children's mental health. Understand it's okay. It's, it's, it's not a taboo. It's not something that you need to be afraid of. Yeah. We don't want to talk about our kids being depressed. Most kids have depression at some point or another. Yeah. I think parents see it as a failure, their failure, if their kids are depressed. Like, I did something wrong, which I think creates that stigma. And it's not about that. It's not about you. Yeah. It's just not. It's about them. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you spend the time to talk to your kids. You spend the time to figure out how to talk to your kids. You spend the time how to not talk to your kids, how to listen to your kids. Don't talk at your kids. Don't lecture your kids. Their studies a lecture room. Yeah, they, they cut a class. They did something wrong. Yeah, give them a lecture. That's what we do. Most of the time, listen to your kids. Get them so they want to talk to you first. Create a safe environment for your kids to talk to you. Mm-hmm. It's generally not in the house. And it's hard. And it's inconvenient. But that's what you need to do. Get a coach. Somebody can help you. Because it's not easy to do yourself. Yeah. And don't be embarrassed. That I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Because none of us do. No one does, right? I mean, you're going to talk to your parents about the last time they went through, <laughs> they went through a pandemic with their kids? No one's done it. Right. Call up your dad. Hey, dad, when you went through the pandemic with, your, with me, what happened? How did you deal with it? It's never happened, guys. All right? All the stuff your kids are dealing with in their minds is amplified because of kids. There's kids out there that really do believe, and maybe they're right, that in 50 years there won't be a world because of climate change. Yeah. Right? Personally, I think the world will still be here. It'll be different, but it'll still be here. But there's kids out there that will have taken that information and blown it up in their heads. Why did, what does it matter? I don't need to be here anyway. I won't be here in 50 years. Yep. What does it matter? China's going to come and invade us and, and it'll all be done. And it makes no logical sense to you and no logical sense to me, but they feel that way. Mm-hmm. Their kids are just in pain and they don't know how to deal with it. We need to get to them. We need to talk to them. And you can't wait for a doctor or a teacher or the government to legislate it. It's not going to happen. It's up to you. Yeah, it is. And when you feel overwhelmed and you have those conversations that your kids are really hurting, you need to ask them the real question of have you, and you're going, wow, there's something really wrong here. You can't be afraid to ask them the, the most important question, which is, have you thought about hurting yourself? Yeah. You're not putting the idea in their head. You need to ask them. Yeah. And if they say yes, don't freak out, take a deep breath, and ask them, what does that look like? Do you have a plan? Because it, a lot of people think about maybe killing themselves. It crosses people's minds. When you have an articulated plan is when you need to be worried about it. Yeah. They say, yes, I was thinking about it last week on Thursday. I almost did it. Okay, let's get them to a therapist. Let's get them to a doctor. Let's get them to people besides yourself who can help them. 
but you have to ask the question if you feel like these are really bad. Yeah. I think that's such a key point though. A lot of parents are afraid to ask those hard questions because they feel like it is going to plant the idea. And it is the first thing we learn is that you have to ask because they're not going to tell you. And even if you ask, a lot of kids are hesitant to tell their parents because they don't want to hurt their parents. They don't, they're afraid. They're not going to offer that information because they're worried their parents are going to get upset or disappointed or they're already stressed and they don't want to add more stress. So a lot of and, kids hide how they're feeling to protect their parents. And in their minds, they think if they disappear from the world, the world is better off. No one, yeah. That no one will notice. No one will notice. The parents will know, their parents will be better off if I'm not here. Yeah. I'm in so much pain, I just want to go away. Yep. Again, it's not about suicide right now. It is about the depression and anxiety and kids without being untreated. Yep. And that leads to suicide sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah. So Jay, I am, this has been so, so powerful. And I, I am so um, happy actually that you're sharing your message. It's coming from a, from a very traumatic, sad place. But the fact that you're out there sharing this and helping others is just a blessing. So thank you for doing that. Um, what can people do to learn more about you and your story and what you're, what you're teaching? Well, you can go to tellmystoryfilm.com and the movie Tell My Story is out now. Um, people are having a great experience watching that film with their, with their kids yeah, and having a conversation afterwards. Um, people are trying to do screenings around the country and around the world where they'll grab groups of people and you can go that, all that information is on the site. You can grab uh, family and friends and, and, and put screenings in schools, which we're trying to do in the fall. Oh, good. The parents will be able to screen this movie in at the auditorium because we'll be back in auditoriums by then. Um, and you'll be, see it, be able to watch the film and have a conversation. So you can do that. You go to choose org and check out. You know, I'd suggest starting with the goal cast maybe going to the um, Hot Lava Talk. The first TEDx talk I did was very raw, six months after Ryan passed. Yeah, I saw that one, though. It was very moving. Um, but, and then talk to your friends, talk to your family, go on the internet. I wish I could say, if you just go to this site. Yeah, everything will be fixed. Everything will be fixed, but it's not that easy, no. right? But I can also tell you, I truly believe in what you do is that as a parent, if you're struggling with your teen, struggling by yourself is a bad idea. Yeah. Get someone to help coach you through it, give you some tips you didn't have, and the world needs more people like you doing that. Thanks. And if we all do that, and we own our kids' mental health, then we will make a difference. Yeah, we absolutely will. We absolutely will, and there's, always hope. I think a lot of parents think, well, I'm so far gone and the kids are so far gone. It's never, if you're both here, it's not too late. No, it's, it's, I don't think it's too late. I mean, look at, I've, yeah. with four kids, we've had ups and downs with all of them. Ryan, yeah. obviously the worst. Um, but they come out of it. Yeah. I mean, those, those 18, 19 year old girls who are hating their fathers and mothers at this point in time because it seems to be a bit of an epidemic. 
Yeah. <laughs> they come out of it. Yeah. My daughter and I had a very tough relationship the last couple of years. And then all of a sudden, the switch went off and we're great again. It happens. Yeah. They're growing up. They're dealing with a lot of their own stuff. All you can do is love them and accept them and not judge them. That is probably the best advice you can give. That is so very, very true. And that's what they need from us so much. That and bite your tongue. <laughs> yeah. Don't take it personally, bite your tongue. <laughs> it's very difficult to do. It works in a marriage too, if you're looking for something to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of this does. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, a lot of the tips I give parents for their teens, they're like, you know, I did that with my spouse and it worked really well too. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Jay. I'm so grateful you could join us today. This is really, you, really helpful. And thank you parents for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. If you want more mental health help, I created a printable list of 30 hotlines and resources for families awesome. with teenagers, and you can download it at askdrcam.com slash free hyphen resources. There's a lot of resources there for you. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode and the life-changing information Jay shared with us, please take a quick moment to rate and review. This helps other parents like you find this show, and I encourage you to share it with a friend as well. Until next time, have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.